The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It Podcast with Brittany Page and Jesse Dallimore. Welcome to the show, everybody. Episode 867 of I Doubt It Podcast. I am your host, Jesse Dollimore, joined today by the lovely, the talented, and indeed the scholarly, Brittany Page, everybody. Well, we were teasing a guest, an upcoming guest. We and have been for a while. <laughs> and, well, we have a few interviews scheduled, actually. Yeah, yeah. So, but, but this was the guest that we were teasing in our minds, like directly thinking of when we were doing the tease. And we weren't announcing it because there have been some, you know, rescheduling has yeah. occurred. Well, which the is, debt ceiling was happening and there was all kinds of stuff. It was, I'm not it, blaming. It's, it's not an attack. A, it's a congressman. I, so. I know no, that. No, I'm not telling you. It's like to the audience. Okay. Like, calm down, everybody. Oh. No one even knew. <laughs> Although what's funny about it is, I mean, spoiler alert, they've seen the title. They There's no way to, 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 to get around it. Uh, Congressman Jamal Bowman, Democrat from New York, will be on in just a moment in studio. Um, what it, What is very funny is several times I've teased it when we've talked about him in the past, in the, in the in the past couple months. We need to have that guy on the show, knowing he was scheduled. He just it didn't work out each time because of the debt ceiling or whatever else was happening. Mm-hmm. So uh, very pleased. Um, one of the reasons we wanted to have him on was because of who he is, uh, how he behaves, how he comports himself with Congress, that he is not a punch puller, as it were. He is someone who calls Republicans cowards in the halls, uh, asking for something to be done about gun violence. You'll remember the, inst- the, 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 the instance of him face-to-face with Thomas Massey, the, the goofball from Connecticut, or uh, Kentucky, excuse me, who poses with assault weapons with his entire family. Then most recently, there was the instance with Marjorie Taylor Greene on the outside the house uh, on the on the the plaza of the United States Capitol, where she subsequently said that he was thre- she felt threatened by him, that he's a big black man, and she, he's so scary is what she's communicating. And you know, it's 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 a it's a dangerous situation when you have an Amy Cooper type in Congress who is who is making uh, problems for a colleague. Yeah, so we wanted to have him on because he is communicating what a lot of Americans are feeling. And I think that that is not something that you see very often in Congress. You don't you don't see people expressing the outrage, the frustration that you may be feeling. And he has been doing that and and making headlines for it. So we, yeah. we wanted to have him on, talk a little bit about his experiences, what led him to this work, what what 
you know, motivates his work. And it, I think, is a great conversation. Yeah. We're, we're very thankful that he took the time. His staff has been very gracious. And this is exactly why we moved to Washington, D.C. from California in the first place, is to make things like this happen far more often. And uh, we're off to the races. It is starting to happen. And we want to use our platform for as much good as we can. And it's through this and amplifying the messages of strong and powerful leaders in our country that we're going to be able to do that. So without further ado, let's get to the interview. Congressman Jamal Bowman. Congressman Jamal Bowman, thanks for joining us. We appreciate your time. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Uh, what the, the question that we have that's foremost on our mind, especially with the the every instance of a right winger attacking you or saying that they're threatened or or clutching their pearls because uh you want to save the lives of children in their classrooms um what is it like on a daily basis this is not a normal job i mean you've held regular jobs in the past true what's it like to work with these people uh it's uh it's pretty crazy. Um pretty crazy, but I don't know, it's kind of exciting um also at the same time, you know, to be a member of Congress, to have a platform where you get to engage people in conversation and dialogue about a variety of issues, uh where when you bring attention to an issue, you know, people are more likely to pay attention to it. Uh that's pretty exciting and pretty inspiring, so I'm really grateful for that. Um, I mean, I used to be a middle school principal, man, so that job was kind of, <laughs> you know, that might have been a bit crazier than this, but, you know, those were middle school kids, so you expect that from them. That's where the true danger yeah, is, is dealing the true with kids. Danger is, absolutely. <laughs> um, and God forbid you lose a kid or a kid gets hurt or, or worse. You know, that was like my worst nightmare every day working in yeah. schools. Um, but here, I mean, what's interesting here is, you know, you clearly see uh, – how like money and lobbyists uh, influence my colleagues and the decisions that they make. Um, You clearly see that every decision is based on like their campaigns and building their own individual brands and power as opposed to like serving the American people. So, you know, they say and do some pretty interesting things that, you know, I just, I just feel it's important for us to push back you know, now in my second term, I kind of learned that, you know, the first term you would think, oh, the, you know, the American people are not going to pay attention to this crazy thing that these people are saying. And actually, if that's the only information out there, you know, it's going to influence how people think. So coming into this term, you know, my, my kind of personal mission was to make sure I push back every chance I get. Was the was the lobbying and some of the, I mean, you, you're prepared when you come in, like you have an idea what it's going to be like. Was it about the same or like, oh, holy shit, this is even worse than I thought it was? Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I don't take corporate PAC money, and I never did, and never will, and so that's I didn't why really, you're sitting here. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't really meet with lobbyists uh, my my first term at all. Um, the 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 word itself was kind of icky to me mm-hmm. like like what's a lobbyist like what is that you know um and it's people lobbying on behalf of corporations to do things that corporations want them to do so i didn't i didn't really meet with lobbyists my first term i have met with a few more this term um because there are some who focus on issues that i care about mm-hmm. you know and so you know whether it's you know healthcare issues or, or racial justice issues or 
criminal justice reform or issues like, issues rooted in social justice. You know, I have met with some. Plus, I want to understand Washington a bit better. Sure. And I don't want to close myself off to um, any individual or group that may be in Washington wielding power. Um, you know, so it's 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 this whole thing, like any job, is a learning process. So I want to make sure I'm open to at least a conversation, even though I may not ever work with a person who happens to be a lobbyist. Yeah, I think one thing that is unique about you that we don't see from a lot of your colleagues is your ability to express the outrage and passion that a lot of Americans are feeling about certain issues like gun violence and racism in this country. What is it that you think it is about the institution that you work in? Is it the culture? Is it the history? I mean, what is it that we're not seeing this from other people, but we're seeing it from you? You know, that's a very good question. And I don't know if it's just for me. I mean, if you look at the last four years or so, three or four years, you know, when AOC first came in, you know, she occupied Pelosi's office with the Sunrise Movement, you know, when when they were about to end the moratorium on on, on rent, um, you know, last year or the year before, Cory Bush occupied the steps of the Capitol, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, when Rashida first came in, she told the country we need to impeach the mother effer, Trump, and you know, Ilhan has had her share of viral, right? I think that's just, you know, when you have new voices who are working class and, and really rooted in what people are struggling with, I think I think that's just how it goes. And I think it's just my turn, I guess, you know, and it kind of happened. It happened organically. And, again, like, it's my second term. I've learned a lot. But, like, listen, kids are being shot and killed in my district, you know, Every other week, it seems like another teenager is shot and killed, you know. And so, you know, I've looked into the eyes of mothers who have lost sons, you know, a couple days before that. You know, that's that impacts you. And then, you know, I have my own trauma with gun violence, just, just focusing on that term for a moment. You know, I've been in fights that led to shootouts where I was right there. I have best friends who you know, came to my house right after their brothers were killed. I had a good friend's sister and her eight month old baby who was killed. I mean, this is like, this is like my entire life. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's my responsibility to communicate that to my colleagues and to the press in a way that I, that I feel should be communicated. You know, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to, uh, you know, censor myself or, or try to follow some some aspect of decorum when nine year olds and six year olds yeah. and babies are being killed with assault rifles. Right. I, it seems to me it would be pretty hard to follow some arcane system of decorum and my good friend across the aisle <laughs> yeah, bullshit yeah. when uh, yeah. when there's literal white nationalists, yeah. avowed yeah. Christian nationalists yeah. among members of Congress. So some of these, it just seems, it's refreshing to see you, you know, telling Republicans a lot of the same shit that I say all the time. They're cowards. You, if you're not tackling the issues that are, that are leading to the deaths of dozens and dozens and dozens, piles of dead kids, then you are a coward. It's not a a, a derision. It's, it's not a pejorative. It's fact. Yeah. I mean, what are we doing here? You know, three days after I was sworn in, there was an insurrection. There was an attack on the U S Capitol, a white nationalist. Fast forward to this year, you know, you have a Uvalde shooting. Uh, You have, well, last year Uvalde and this year, the um, 
shooting at the at the Christian school where the three nine year olds were killed and three sixty year old people around and then people in their sixties were also killed. And then again, like we have an affordable housing crisis in this country. And yeah. <laughs> you have people who are dying because they don't have health care. And you have you got all of these issues. And we come in and out with our nice suits and, and, and engage in all this. My good friend on the other side of the aisle, decorum. Um, and the Senate doesn't do shit because of the filibuster. And even if we wanted to get rid of the filibuster, we have Democrats on that side who won't let us do it. Mm-hmm. And... You have wealth inequality, and you have on and on and on. You got issues that we are. It's our job to address, so, so and we're not addressing any of them. Where's the disconnect yeah. between you witness the carnage, the, the death of children, the, the the climate change catastrophes daily? I mean, daily. We're now. I mean, the insurance companies won't even insure new homeowners in California, and that's going to be spreading to Texas and other places. Yeah. Where's the disconnect with, and I'm not expecting you to speak for Republicans. Who the fuck wants to do that? Uh, what, uh, I can speak a little bit. <laughs> well, I mean, Democrats do it too. Well, That's the problem. What's yeah. the disconnect, though, of like seeing the literal carnage and sitting on your hands? I mean, yeah. we know there's some craven political operators out there like Ted Cruz and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and Paul Gosar and Matt Gates, and yeah. the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. But they're still human, human beings. I mean, I... Yeah, I mean, the short answer is big money in politics, you know. I mean, when you talk about the powerful fossil fuel lobby, the powerful pharmaceutical lobby, the NRA, which is still powerful even though it's been weakened, when you talk about uh, white supremacy as a mindset, an ideology, a way of life, and part and being part of the of the infrastructure of Congress and how we do our business, that's all still in play at the same time, you have people like me and others who happen to be people of color pushing back against all of that. So we're an existential threat to a Republican Party and some corporate Democrats who have been benefiting from this status quo for so long. And now you got new members who are working class, who have tons of student debt, who have bad credit scores, (laughs) who are regular people in Congress saying this is bullshit and this needs to change. I mean, if we if we take big money out of politics, you know, can Republicans and some corporate Dems ever win an election again just on their ideas, just on their relationship with their community? I mean, that that answer is probably going to be very difficult. You know, if we uh, debate, uh, you know, what polling says and what research says and debate the issues, can they win an election? No. So they got to suppress the vote. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, can they if if we if women continue to uh, be a part, you know, show their voices in the political process and be loud and push back uh can you know certain men who have benefited from the suppression of the woman voice and vote win elections as it relates to women's issues or the issues that Americans care about? No, so they, you know, you overturn Roe v. Wade and you continue to attack women's rights and you get them pissed off to the point where they either join you or stay home, and that's what happens. Not just with women, but all marginalized people, you know, people of color and you know, black people, immigrants. That's what happens. We, we. Uh, we, we either stay home because it's too much or we're like, you know what? They got a point and we, 
We join them. That's what Republicans are hoping for because they can't win on anything else. Do you see a sea change? Do you see, um, I mean, obviously we see that Maxwell Frost, individuals like this who are younger, who are animated and motivated to run for office. Are you seeing younger yeah. people coming to you like, hey, how'd you do it? Yes, um, I, I do see it and I do feel that, um, but, it's, but it's tenuous. You know, it can, it can go either way on any given day. Um, the fact that I'm sitting here talking to you is is a miracle in that way. You know, I, I tell me about it. I mean, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, I didn't, I never ran for any office in my life. You know, not even like, you know, class president. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't. I never ran for anything. And I chose to run for Congress, and I was inspired to do that because of AOC right down the street in the Bronx, because of the squad. Right, so I was able to do that and be the 31 year incumbent who was chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee, who was very powerful, a very powerful person that had the backing of the entire establishment, and we were still able to win. So I tell that story all the time wherever I go because I want people to hear yeah, it. Yeah, you should. And I want sure. them to be inspired by it, but I want them to understand that you don't have to run for office to bring transformational change to your community. You can do a variety of things, you know, community organizing around the most important issues you care about become a teacher, which I selfishly always push people to do because of my background in education. But there are so many things. I just want people to get activated and be inspired and believe in their individual and collective power to, to transform this country because historically that's that's what has always happened. Mm-hmm. There's always been movements that is that is pushed have pushed, you know, elected officials to do the right thing when it comes to policy. And so that's what we want. That's what I think we're in the middle of right now, you know, and if I can even go with a timeline, you know, President Obama, even though a lot of his policies I didn't agree with, to see a black man run for president and win, that sure. was impactful for me and a lot of other men of color, I'm sure. But then after him, they'll see Bernie, Bernie's campaign. That was really inspirational how he, you know, really centered economic inequality in our nation as like the central problem. That was very powerful. And that evolved to the squad in 2018, which evolved to me and Corey in 2020, which now we have, you know, Maxwell and Delia and Summer and Greg Kassar and so many other newer members who are just more progressive, like just in general, because that's what happens with, with younger people and newer people like they tend to be, all about like, okay, what the country needs now, not what the country needed a hundred years ago. Yeah. How does your background as an educator inform your approach to working with your colleagues? Yeah, I mean I mean, I, I center children in everything I do and I want children to be at the top of everyone's political agenda. Because if our kids are not okay, we are not okay. Mm-hmm. And right now the kids are not okay. So, you know, you have the Surgeon General, I think it was December 2022, might have been 2021, declare a national emergency with regard to children's mental health. In my opinion, at that moment, we should have moved heaven and earth and every resource to make sure we were taking care of our children. We did not do that. And now that Republicans have taken control of the House, still not happening. Mm-hmm. You have uh, the number one killer of children right now is guns, Right. Issues of inequality and poverty and the complex traumas impact children more than everyone else. So when we talk about public safety and crime, you better also talk to me about public health and trauma and poverty Mm -hmm. and underfunding and the policy that contributed to all that. Mm -hmm. If you don't do that, you're not having a real conversation. So for me, when I talk to people, 
children are first because I, you know, I taught children who came to school hungry, who came to school with lead poisoning because they lived in public housing that has been underfunded, and now they have this in their bloodstream, which has now contributed to a learning disability that they have. Yeah. have. I've taught children who uh, have engaged in self-harm uh, because they they feel desensitized from society and ignored and unseen by our overall system. Um, and I've taught children who've come from challenging circumstances but are incredibly brilliant and creative who we need to nurture and support and uplift. And when you think about all of the issues we fight for and we need as a country, what ch- children represent that in our schools. Yeah, You'll see it in, in who they are. And so... For me, that's the that's the biggest uh, influence um, in my work with my colleagues. But I really also try to be a learner. Like, I really genuinely do, you know. Because every educator is a learner first. And uh, so I try to learn from all of my Democratic colleagues, even though even the ones who take corporate PAC money. Um, and, I, and I try to learn from, from Republicans, even though I'm, you know, make fun of them and attack them and argue with them sometime. Uh, Cause I really want, I really want to understand where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. Cause I think for the ones who are um, sincere in, in their, in their positions, I think there's a lack of education. That's the problem. Mm. I mean, if you, if your only experience is in a rural all white community, mm-hmm. yeah. you're not going to understand what kids are going through in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. And vice versa. And that's part of the problem. We've been segregated for so long because we can't allow our kids or our people to live with them. Right. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, if they drink from the same water fountain, you know, I might catch some kind of illness. Like, think about how stupid that shit is. Right. We, you're, you're really <laughs> speaking our language. One, that, you know, we're, we love foul language. Not that <laughs> shit. Uh, but, you know, Brittany is a, is a clinical psychotherapist. By training, by education, we both grew up super poor. Mm-hmm. We also grew up in dramatically white environments, and it what you're saying rings so true that if like if not for me joining the Marine Corps and being exposed to a bunch of um, different people and different ways of life and having different experiences, it it fundamentally changed me. And I think that that's it's one of the things that's missing yeah. with with education today. And it's the the battle that's being fought against teaching the history of our country. Uh, People want to call it Black history, but it's it's the history of America. Absolutely, and you know we're we're glad to see that you're championing that with with uh, Cory Booker too, and and not just segregated schools, but segregated communities. We don't live together, yeah, right, And, and that's a major problem. Now, on the other side of that, you have Black and Brown kids in urban communities who have never gone to school with white people. And if they don't go to like you know a uh, a majority white college, they never will, right? So they'll just stay stuck, you know, stuck in the ghetto with no ex- exits, as Nas said in one of his songs. But um, in addition to that segregation and not being in touch and in, in relation or community community with each other, you have the 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 explicit and implicit colonized training of the mind that leads black kids to believe that white people are superior mm-hmm. and I am inferior because I am black. And this is something that is taught in school curriculum 
explicitly and implicitly. Like if you don't see yourself in the curriculum at all, sure. then you, you, you ask yourself subconsciously, what is my value? Mm-hmm. If you turn on the TV and and all of the superheroes you see are white, or most of them are, or all of the protagonists in TV shows are white, and all of the talk show hosts, hosts are white, or the anchors on the news are white, or, you know, Santa Claus is white, and Jesus Christ is white, and on and on and on. Megyn Kelly is white. You know, you got the art, you got the artwork, <laughs> Megyn Kelly is white. It's hilarious. You got the artwork in the Sistine Chapel, I believe, where you got, I think, Adam touching God. Yeah, right. All these white people. Right, right, right. Damn, God is white. Jesus is white. Santa is white. Captain America is white. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah. I'm black. Where's my story? Like, what happened to my history, right? So when we talk about the accurate teaching of history and humanity— that's what we're talking about, and that's exactly what they're pushing back against. Mm-hmm. Looking to not only not have that history taught in schools, but to ban books that are already in schools where it was being taught. Do and- you think that they do they view this as like a long term objective? The fight. So if we can dumb down the ed- education system where white children don't know about, I mean, even the basics like slavery, but also convict leasing and redlining and some of the horrors that have visited upon the black community in this country by white people. Is it a long-term thing or are they just benefiting from the short-term gains that they think they're going to make? And then maybe the long-term Well, it's thing already happening. So the, so we had the enslavement of Africans. We've had Jim Crow redlining, the black codes, the KKK, housing uh racism you know in terms of black houses appraisals versus what yeah all that is happening right now in real yeah. time the education system has been the, the 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 cognitive colonizing arm of white supremacy so everything you just said is already happening mm-hmm. so you'll have white people go to all white schools and and are exceptional in those schools and go on to be exceptional in college and go on to get an exceptional job. And then at some point along the line, they may engage with people of color and they realize, holy shit, like I missed out on this whole other aspect of, of, of life and reality and society. And I'm like ignorant when it comes to all of that. And so, so now they're in their twenties or thirties or forties. And now they're having to relearn and re-understand and go through this sort of cognitive and spiritual dissonance within them as they try to become better people to build a better country for everyone. So it's what you describe. It's already happening. The pushback is so aggressive now because people are saying that's bullshit. Like we have to stop that because it's not just harmful for people of color, it's harmful for all of us. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, harmful for, sure. for our collective humanity. And so, you know, it needs to stop. So now they're, they're doubling down, you know, the election was stolen. Come here on January 6th. We got to ban these damn books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. You know, Mr. Bowman's mannerisms are aggressive. You know, there's an invasion of immigrants. Great replacement theory. Let's get guns and shoot up Buffalo, New York, black people. Like, this is, we're yeah, living yeah. in yeah, it. Yeah, we are, for sure. <laughs> like, this is real time. I know you mentioned AOC, and she has been open about 
her frustrations when she got to Congress and just seeing how things worked and maybe how she wasn't able to do what she wanted to do there. You know, as, as an outsider, she could imagine what she could get done. And then once she was in there, it was different. How do you kind of stand against the frustration that that brings or maybe the disillusionment in your job? I mean, how do you keep going with that frustration of maybe not being able to achieve what you want to achieve while you're there? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm an optimistic person, so I feel at some point we're going to achieve it, mm-hmm. and, and at some point soon. Yeah. And I'm trying to learn how to organize on the inside and on the outside mm. and really get people thinking about how important this next election is, like not just for Biden, but for the Senate and the House. I mean, if we could figure out a way, um, meaning the good, the good people, <laughs> to win – two or three additional seats in the Senate and flip the house again and win the presidency again, we can do some really, really big things. I mean, if Manchin and cinema didn't get in the way, we would already have a higher corporate tax rate, higher right. uh, taxes on the wealthy, universal childcare, universal pre-K paid leave, uh, you know, investments in home care and, um, and investments in affordable housing at historic levels. Like we, and more investments in climate. We would already have that. Yeah if we had the right people in the Senate. So we were close, you know, we got some of the stuff back with the IRA, which is, which is great, but we were close to, to doing something. Biden would have like, we had to put him on Mount Rushmore, like with the other four, <laughs> if we had got that stuff done, yeah. you know? So, um, you know, so I'm, I'm always like, damn, we're right there. And, and then again, my inspiration is also like, you know, I'm, I'm here. Like, so if someone like me is here, that means like, oh snap, we could we could we could do other stuff, you know? Because again, like I shouldn't I mean, you know, my friends, you know, they they did twenty years in prison, you know, died from gun violence, you know, like yeah, you know, I'm I'm you know, I made it through. Thank thank God for my mom and, 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 and luck. You know what I'm saying? So yes. but if but if I'm here and if Corey's here and others are here, that means more can come. And that means we can we can we can do big things at the state level, county level, because there's a there's a paradigm shift happening happening right now. Like politics as usual is obsolete. This is a new new politics. This is a a new America, a new American revolution that is one of conscious and humanity. Um, that really can be again transformational for everyone. And I believe that we're close to that. It, it seems like that. That statement about it's not politics as usual is unfortunately also right on the other side, though. I mean, mm-hmm. you've got your Marjorie Taylor Greens and your Lauren. You might go through the list again, yeah. but I could argue that's usual, though. You know, it was like it was like uh, it, it had subsided, I guess, uh, or simmering under the surface for a minute for a while, and then Trump unlocked it. Yeah, and I mean, it gave out permission again. to be yeah, the, the, yeah. the most be be who you yeah. Worthless. <laughs> I mean, I'm yeah, yeah. I have the, the phrases I use all the time. But <laughs> but I mean but there was a lot more dog whistling yeah, and yeah. Now, now these fuckers have bullhorns. Yeah. So yeah. I mean I'm glad that there are the squad, all of you, mm-hmm. um other members who are willing to kind of jettison the the politics of my good friend across the, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. that Fritz Halling is the guy who I, he was a Senator from South Carolina. I used to, when I worked for the Senate and he had that 
foghorn leghorn yeah. thing. That's what I do. But well, that attitude is also what is going to get people mobilized, right? Yeah. When they learn, oh, if we actually vote people into power who are going to do things to change our lives, our lives will change. We won't just have to have headline after headline of terror yeah. every day. Yeah, or yeah. at least fight for it. Yeah, you know the thing about you know my uh, argument with Massey and and me yelling about gun violence. I can't tell you how many people are like, thank you for fighting for us. Yeah. Like, thank you. Like, everywhere I go, not just in the district, but, like, around the state, around the country. Like, thank you, thank you, thank you. I didn't pass, I didn't pass any legislation. <laughs> but the fact that they saw someone who's fucking, I'm sorry. Nope. No. Pissed Good. off. Yeah. Yes. And, and like, outraged and yes. said it. Yes. They're like, thank you. Yes. Well, you're saying yeah. what they're yeah. feeling, and yes. you're in a position to yeah. actually do something. That's right. That's right. And so, so they really appreciated that. And I didn't. I also didn't realize how much people hate Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> really? Oh my god! I didn't know it was that bad. I mean, I get more love for that interaction than even for yeah. Massey. Well, I think it was and Massey so- was related to like a piece of legislation, yeah. like something that was tangible. Right, Marjorie, they just hate her guts so much. They were just happy that like I said something to her and shut her down. Um, I mean, I don't know. Eyes. I don't know if you saw that her last town hall. Yes, um, elderly yeah. black woman got up and yes. read her the fucking riot act about how she's endangering you. Yeah, that was and very. I don't wow. think that Marjorie. I don't think it's just for the camera. I think Marjorie Taylor Greene knows that she is inciting so what yeah. could be violence against you. So I hope that you're, yeah, yeah, I know yeah, you're no, traveling no, no, with people sure, who, seem, sure. who seem to know what they're, no, they're no. doing, but yeah, no, absolutely. Don't, and, and, uh, and, don't fuck around. Yeah, be, no, be no, 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 never that. And um, yeah. And her, her last, her very last sentence at her press conference was, was almost like when Donald Trump told the proud boys to stand back and stand by. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She was like, he needs, he's someone that needs to be watched. Yes. Like what? Yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. what? What do you? That's crazy yeah, yeah, talk. Yeah, that's sure. really really crazy. But I, I'm, you know, I, I'm very grateful that she was confronted because she needs to be confronted in her own district. I, and I, I don't think she expected that. Mm-hmm. I don't think she expected that. So the fact that I mean, Georgia's still the South, I and mean, there's a lot of black people in the South. Yeah, and black people in the South are hypersensitive to. Yeah, you know, well, they know the em- history. Emmett Till, Medgar Evers. On and on and on, mm-hmm. you know. So they're very sensitive to that, and, and you know, hopefully, she, I mean, I don't know if she'll do her homework, learn, and humble herself. Come on now. We'll see. <laughs> but uh, I'm a teacher. Your, your optimism. I'm, I'm, I'm always a teacher, man. Like we never let the kid sit in the back of the class and put his head down. We always, every day, how are you doing today? Pick your head up. I got a question. For right. You. She's not a kid anymore. We, listen, we 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 show empathy for everyone. Yes, yes. yes. That, that's a good message. Um, we know you're on a, a timetable here, so the, the it's not going to be a Joe Rogan four hour oh, thing. It's yeah. all so. good. It's all good. Yeah, ha- this the, is, I appreciate you all. The last question that we always ask people when they come on to encourage the audience to change their minds as the evidence changes or as their understanding of the evidence changes. Uh, what is the most recent thing that you changed your mind about? I change my mind like 50 times a day. So I I don't know. I feel like I'm always changing my mind. Like on my way here, you know, I was wearing my tie and I was like, no, nah, I don't want to do the tie with the podcast. So I just took it off and put, do it in the car. So that's a, <laughs> that's a small thing. Mm-hmm. But I think to your larger point, 
I, I think I, I can't name something specific right now off the top of my head, but I think it's important for us to continue to learn and be open to different perspectives as we learn. Um, because if you're just digging your heels in on the position mm. you had on something and, and with, to the point where it leads you to ignoring new credible information, mm-hmm. that's harmful to you, your family, your community, and our country. And so we have to be willing to learn and grow in general, especially in this information age with so much information, so much disinformation and misinformation and lies and lack of credible resources and trending topics and hate. And we got to be critical thinkers. So for me, that question just, just encourages us to be critical thinkers. And, and I, and I try to be, you know, as, as, as much as I can, but um, I can't think of anything, uh, Anything off the top of my head other than the tie decision? Well, but, I mean, that yeah. might be, that's a, it really, your inability to answer it is, is a testament to that you really do put it in practice, that it happens so often. Yeah. That it's not like, oh, this eureka moment that, oh, there was this one thing. Mm-hmm. If, if, you're, if you're living it, then, The nature you know. of being a lifelong learner. Yes. Yeah. And thank you for using that term. Mm-hmm. Because as educators, that's what we want all our kids to be. Mm-hmm. And we should all be that in society. It's just, it's just... Who, who the hell knows all the answers mm-hmm. at 20, 30, 40, 50? I mean, the most intelligent people in history talked about their curiosity. Mm-hmm. So I just encourage people to remain curious. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Thanks for joining us. We appreciate your time. Appreciate it, man. This is awesome. Thank you. Thank you all. I'll be back. Let me come back if that's okay. Of course. Yeah. Anytime. <laughs> Let you come back. <laughs> Great. Appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. We're back, and I'm on the opposite side of the table. Well, musical chairs. <laughs> uh, what'd you think? I thought it was great. I thought it was particularly great at the end there because we often hear from people in the audience who are disillusioned, upset with the political process. They are exhausted by the daily headlines coming out about gun violence and the latest shooting. And I mean, we get emails and voicemails all the time yeah, from yeah. listeners that are like, I can't handle this anymore why isn't anyone doing anything what are we supposed to do how can we help and I thought it was really nice to not only hear Jamal Bowman's passion for making a difference and making changes and using his platform to make changes but also encouraging other people who aren't in his position to work to make those changes and I think it helps just to be reminded that (laughs) even though people try to say that there isn't a lot of difference between Republicans and Democrats when you hear him saying if we didn't have mansion or cinema if we could have additional seats of Democrats elected into the Senate things would be completely different yeah yeah and that is true yeah. And so when you hear people try to say that they're not going to vote or they're going to sit this one out or they're upset with Biden or whatever, 
we need to convince those people, no, there is a meaningful difference here. Yeah. The difference really is the type of Democrat that you get in there, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and we need to be pushing for progressive Democrats to be elected. Uh, what what struck me, and I, it, I'm, I'm really, I mean, we're just minutes out from him, from him and his staff leaving, and uh, I love that he dropped luck. Mm. That he talked, he, he's like, and luck, and luck. I mean, he made a, a a flourish over it. You because, mean the thing that we talk about yeah, the all thing the we time? We talk about all the time. <laughs> that we, without luck, yeah. where would we be? Right. Without luck, I, having grown up, very poor, single mother, evangelical, right wing, conservative household. I mean, who knows where I would have been without luck? At every turn in my life, or at many turns in my life, and people helping or or educating or whatever, and giving me the the boost to become who I am today and who I will be in the coming years, because mm-hmm. it's it's all a journey and a process. Right, right. Yeah, it's just it was awesome. I'm yeah. I'm I'm thrilled. Um, he's um, more genuine than I thought he would be. We need we need that optimism too, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we need to adopt some of that. So, well, there's a lot of people. Look, Jamal Bowman's one of the most con- uh, uh, progressive members of the House, and oftentimes, and you know, this is a Twitter thing, I think, where people are very cynical. Their cynicism is what drives them. They they have the doubts, and they they want to. Their opinions are formed and driven by the the negative, and I didn't get that at all. From him, and I think that it's a lesson for all of us to to live your life with optimism, to try to find the thing that can bring you some some optimism. Right, for yeah. sure. So anyway, uh, we'd love to know what you think. Six five seven four six four seventy six zero nine. Of course, you can email a voice memo from your smartphone to I doubt it at dollamore dot com. We are a listener supported podcast. Uh, there are there the the main focus of how you can support the show, other than uh, sharing the episodes and and liking and reviewing and all of that is to go to patreon.com slash I doubt it podcast. Pick a tier. You can help support us that way. It helps keep the lights on. Every little bit goes a long way toward supporting this particular independent media outlet. We love you guys. We appreciate you very much. We'd love to hear from you. And we will see you next time. For Brittany Page, I'm Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It.